Good evening and welcome to Night Colors Bigfoot Radio. You're here with your hostess, Lauren Smith. And tonight we have John Van Deventer on. He is the author of the Relics series. And it is a great series. You guys should check it out. But before we bring him on, I just real quick, I do this every show, you guys. I wanted to ask that you show some love for that hardworking Night Colors crew and hit that thumbs up on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and ring that notification bell so that you don't miss the new content that I put out. Also, you guys can go to nightcollarsproductions.com to check out my merch and also my awesome affiliates, which will provide you more content in between showtimes. So without further ado, I will go ahead and bring John on. Now, John lives in Hanobi, Oklahoma, which if you guys don't know, is in the middle of nowhere, Bigfootville. So he's kind of having some signal issues right now. Um, I may have to, I think I'm going to have to have him try again because I don't think, I don't think it's working. <laughs> yeah, it was like frozen on the same screen from five minutes ago. So I will just sit here and give you guys some updates from the camp out while he jumps back on. So this past weekend, we had the uh, first annual Night Callers camp out at McGee Creek Wildlife Management Area in McGee Creek, Oklahoma area. And um, it was a really great time. We It was a small little intimate gathering of people who are all interested in the same thing. And there was no drama. There was no issues. There was just uh, good times, lots of squatch talk. Um, we went hiking every single day. We went squatching at night, sat around the fire. Good food, uh, good people, and good memories. So I will let you guys know when we're going to be having another one, and I hope that you can join us. It was a really good time. We had, um, I was there with my kids, and the legend was there, so, you know, next time you guys see her in person, go ahead and get her autograph. Just, it'll make her day. Not really, she'll hate it, but my day, so. Um, let him gone log back in. So we have Alan. Hi, Alan. Hi, Steven. Hey, Pyromedic. Really good to see you. I got to meet Pyromedic in person at the Oklahoma Bigfoot Symposium. That was a treat. I love meeting my people in real life. It was awesome. And he is a really great guy with a lot of really great stuff to share. Hi, Mom. And hi, Janelle. Me, Nail. Hi, Ellen. Mark. Hey, Mark. All right, John's back. Okay, I'm going to bring him on. Hold on, guys. Hi, John. Hey, good to see you again. Good to see you. Did you did you go out and put a tower up real quick? Um, no, I just closed a bunch of windows, and yours was one of them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's okay. I figured I'd kick you out and bring you back in. Hey, James. Okay, so I kind of, I was just giving a recap of the camp out from the weekend, and I explained that you live in Nowheresville, Oklahoma, so you live in a home of the Sasquatch, Oklahoma. Yes, actually I do, and Nowheresville is easier to pronounce, but um, <laughs> I, I've never understood where you get Honubi from Anopia, but I'm not going to argue. And you know what's funny is I actually had somebody arguing with me about that over the weekend and I was like oh it's Honubi and they're like well there's like 10 different ways to pronounce it and I was like not if you're from there yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. it's Honubi 
That's one of the first lessons you get when you move to the community out here. They yeah. teach you how to say it correctly. Then oh, it took about absolutely. two years, I think. <laughs> I and think I'm that's still anywhere. Cool I think that's anywhere you move, but it's bad because I find myself cor correcting people all the time. They're like, yeah, I wanted to go to that Honobia conference. I'm like, Honubby. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even from there. Um, I like your hat. That's a good well, looking thank hat. You. you know, it's the one I uh, had you autograph and I told mm -hmm. you I'd only wear it when I was being interviewed by you. So this is this maiden voyage here. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. Okay. So tell me, we'll start out. Tell me a little bit about D with relics. So relics, it's a fiction book, but it features our favorite character, Bigfoot. And, um, it, it's, I've read it. I've read the first one. I haven't gotten to the second one yet. And it's, it's just really good. I tried to, I was trying to explain it to people over the weekend. I was like, you guys, it's just really freaking good. Like the first chapter, I'll never forget. I was reading the first chapter of the first book and the end of the chapter, it's like this twist ending. And I just like, I was like, <gasps> and I remember my husband looking at me, I was like, dude, twist ending. And if that's the first <laughs> chapter, imagine how the rest of the book is. So, um, how did you get into writing that book? Is it was it because of your past experience with Bigfoot or like what, what caused you to write this book? Actually, uh, I was always an airplane freak and looking in the sky. So if I was interested in anything paranormal, it was uh, UFOs. I never really had much of an interest in Bigfoot. I thought it was kind of a neat subject, but I never read about it or had any books or anything on it. And, um, being the airplane freak I was, I was on an online flight simulator that we all took way too serious. And one Friday night, we recreated Operation Torch during World War II. And I was with three other guys. We just had a small flight. We were supposed to patrol an area on the North African coast. And one of my friends I've done this with for years, this online sim, he started talking about a Bigfoot encounter he had in Florida. And everybody kind of got engrossed into his story. And I'm looking around because, you know, we're over where the Germans and Italians are supposed to show up any minute. And I look over and I see 10 dots in the air and I call bandits nine o'clock. I whip off and they go flying down the coastline talking about Bigfoot. And I ran into 10 German players and they made mince meat of me. So I was mad because I was done for the night. And it was a three hour event and I'd only lasted about 40 minutes. So... I'm floating nerds in my cyber parachute and cussing my friend and telling him Bigfoot's a joke and he's a joke. And the next morning I, I returned to my age of 55 or whatever. It was at the time. <laughs> and I called him and, and apologized and said, I want to hear your Bigfoot story. One thing led to another. I'd written no plans in the air force and I was doing some technical writing at the time. And he thought I could, uh, write a short story because he had a production company that makes infomercials and he wanted a short story where he could uh, make an infomercial from it. So we kind of got going. I really didn't want to do it. I didn't know if I could write fiction, although some of my operational plans might've been fiction, but um, <laughs> anyway, one thing came to another and I was kind of struggling with it and he was giving me, he wanted it in Ohio and he was kind of giving me, Ge geographical info and stuff like that and then something came up and he couldn't do it he had to uh 
go to California. He'd gotten a big contract and, you know, that takes priority. And I'd print it all out, set it beside my computer, and I was happy to be done with it. My sister had seen it and she started pestering me, you know, you should make that in a novel. And I was like, no. But finally she won out and I thought, okay, if I'm going to write a novel, I really want to learn about Bigfoot. So I started buying books. I bought David Polite's uh, Tribal Bigfoot and the Hoopa Project and mm-hmm. some of Ron Moorhead's stuff. Um, I read everything I could find. I started listening to Sasquatch Chronicles, and I thought, man, there is a lot to this subject. I was really surprised. I mean, you know, going from back in history, the history of people encountering them, all the way up to government cover-ups. And I yeah. thought, well, if I'm going to do this right, I want to bring all of this this in. So I attempted it, and the novel turned out to be huge. Um, in the first edition, I think it was 500-something pages. Once I went to my new publisher, we got it down into 400 range and trimmed it up some. It's a better book now. Uh, but uh, it was funny because I thought, man, nobody's going to want to read a book that thick. And all yeah. of a sudden, I started getting little snippets. Hey, man, I read your book in three nights and this and that. So people yeah. seem to like it. And um, my sister wanted me to do a sequel, and I had some some fans of the book wanted me to do a sequel. So I kind of left it open to do a sequel. And in the meantime, um, my company, we had taken over the uh, printer and fax and copier service for Choctaw Casinos up here. Okay. Well, they needed to take in Oklahoma. I volunteered to move up here. Somehow ended up in Honubi, which, you know, was just fortunate because actually the first book I wanted to put in Honubi, but they didn't have a police department, fire department, right. um, no infrastructure that I needed for the story. So I just picked Tallahena. And um, so there he went. I, I wrote it and then um, started working on the sequel and had a couple of bad events, lost my sister who got me, um, who was the one that got me the right to book in the first place, lost her in 2018. I lost my oldest son in 2019. And I just kind of lost interest for a while, not to mention my hard drive crash. And I lost the whole book. And I was able to get nearly half of it back out. And um, I was really kind of, I was at the point where I didn't want to write again. I just wanted to be done with it. And I thought, well, I'm just going to throw this second book together and get on with my life and not look back. I was going to publish it through Amazon. And I wanted to go a different direction in book two. And, and I wanted to include more study on the Nephilim, the giants from the Old Testament. Right. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. So I was cruising through Facebook one night and I got into a Nephilim page group. And uh, there was this lady on there who was making some really good points. And I thought, well, I want to pick this lady's brain. And so I initiated a conversation with her, one thing led to another. And it was pretty funny because I was asking her questions about Nephilim. And for some reason, she she said, well, have you read my book? And I was like, no, have you read mine? And she goes, oh, have you read the book? I said, yeah, but it was a Bigfoot book, you know, by the, and, but come to find out, you know, she's, um, she's a partner in the ownership of a publishing company. And after a couple of weeks, I started asking her questions about your company and decided, yeah, I'm going to do the second book with them. And then I just slammed the brakes and I said, I'm going to do redo the first book with them as well. So Relics was redone through Empire Publishing and it launched in uh, 
second edition launches past uh, October 2021. And right on the heels of it, while they were doing that, I got Relics 2 finished and got it published. It came out December 23rd, I believe, just a couple of days before Christmas. So um, it, uh, it took two years to write the original novel. It took me five years to get the, uh, get the sequel done. And book three in the trilogy, I'm hoping to have published in August. I, uh, oh, my gosh. Well, I, I decided, you know, life had kind of come down to you can be a writer or you can be a copier tech, but you can't be both. So luckily, I was in a position. I mean, it was just time to go. It was time to, you know, fish or cut bait. And so I decided I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm older now. The kids are all grown. Everybody's doing well. I can apply for Social Security, and <laughs> so, um, I'm a full-time author now. So well, I'm actually working is- on Relics Three, and I'm doing more work on a a new series called Shadow Chasers, which is going to be a youth series of books on Bigfoot and other paranormal subjects. Nice. And it's aimed at a customer base from about ten to fourteen, and my publishing agent. You know, she she told me, she said, you know, you you get kids reading your books and when they're young adults, I want to read, you know, your regular novels. And, you know, that just made a lot of sense. And the funny thing about when I changed over to uh, Empire Publishing, the first three months after the, the Relics book, the second edition came out in the first three months, I made more money on that book than I did in the five previous years. So they're really a good company. They've taken great care of me. Um, uh, Steve and Francesca, they're kind of the the heart and soul of it. I, I think Steve does the nuts and bolts part of the publishing, and Francesca's the author's rep. And man, she she teaches you how to market. She gives you ideas. Like one idea she gave me was, uh, John, you need to get a camera and a microphone for podcast. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to because that's why I got knocked offline. I dropped my phone. So. <laughs> oh, I'm, well, it's okay. I mean, I brought so I, I got to get told things twice. She found out. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but I appreciate her patience and I really appreciate uh, Empire Publishing. They, they've really done good by me. And yeah. if there's any budding authors out there that I would suggest going to Empire. No, absolutely. No, that's really great advice because I know there are quite a few that, you know, that write about different things, whether it's fiction or not. Um, there's a lot of people that write about paranormals and other cryptids. So, you know, that's, that definitely helps. Um, I have to say you have a very large fan base in the chat right now. So, uh, you done good. And so did, so did your publishing company. Yes. Um, For, for instance, for instance, Miss Amanda is very proud of you. Oh, I'm wondering if it's Amanda Vandeventer. It is. And she has to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's required. No. Hi, Amanda, darling. That's my daughter-in-law. <laughs> yes. Amanda Krill. Um, yeah, you have a, a massive following in the chat. Everybody's very, very, uh, very proud of you and very supportive. So that's amazing. Um, I know that I'm a fan and I was thankful that you came on to talk about it when you first published it back before I was doing video interviewing. I was doing just audio and now you're back um, with your second book, working on the third to have it released by August. That's insane. I'm really well, proud I've of got you. more free time now. You know, I'm not driving <laughs> 300 miles a day and 
yeah you know drag it in tired and trying to do it um it's actually nice in fact i'm i'm really excited about this youth series and um i'm actually all my efforts on that on the first book and that right now it's going to be uh called shadow chasers and the first the first uh book of course story is going to be in talahina it's going to be a bigfoot story and then uh hope to branch out with other stuff and i'm really excited uh i'm going to wind relics up with the third book but i'm starting a a new series with some of the characters from relics a couple of guys are going to have to uh I don't want to give too much away, but they're going to kind of be forced into looking for a new career field. And they thought, well, hey, we're good at finding boogers and taking care of that. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be their new job title. So um, I don't want to give away the the title of the book just yet, but I'm really excited about that. Um, It's like now that I've decided to write, um, you know, there there's no limit. And luckily god blessed me with a mind that can write fiction so <laughs> i don't know if, if that's a blessing but it's working so far um i remember i always asked myself why do i know so much about airplanes and ufos and things like that yeah. why am i interested in that why can't i be interested in something that makes me money <laughs> well think about it, it was my interest in airplanes that got me on that flight sim where I heard the Bigfoot story, they got this whole oh. ball of wax rolling. So it's yes. kind of funny. I guess after a while, I got my answers. So Everything happens for a reason. I'm a firm there believer in that. And I have to say that, you know, I'm a little intimidated by um, a lot of airplane talk. People start naming off airplanes. And I'm like, I grew up, I mean, literally right next to an Air Force base. My whole family was Air Force. I st- you could name a plane and I'm, I'm like, I don't know which one that is. Um, but I have to say, reading the book, you dumbed it down for us. And I very much appreciate that. It didn't, you didn't take away from the badassery of it, but you did dumb it down to where I was not overwhelmed. So I appreciate that. <laughs> well, when you get to the second book, I snuck a lot more airplanes into that one. So. <laughs> well, thank you for the heads up. <laughs> it's sitting on my nightstand, ready to go. I just haven't, you know. Oh, well, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. of course, of course. I'm in the acknowledgments. I mean, yes, <laughs> I'm proud of it. <laughs> um, okay, so you're an author, a a big. We're gonna say a Bigfoot author for the purpose of this show, even though that's right. You know, but would you say that you're an author turned researcher? Well, you know, I was gonna. I wanted. I'm glad you brought that up because I was looking where you showed me a re- as a researcher. Now, actually, I was a bit of a researcher during the first book. And, um, you know, I I would actually go out and things like that. Mm -hmm. But now I would say I'm leaning more toward just being an author because, to be honest with you, when the ticks and the chiggers come out, my (laughs) research ends at the edge of the road. I'm not getting out (laughs) in the grass and stuff anymore. You still make it farther than a lot of other people. I'm going to throw Well, yeah, but I live in Honubi, so it's not hard (laughs) for me. I can walk out the door and... And, you know, actually, I did have a sighting, and basically all I did was walk out the door. So um, it's kind of convenient. Okay, so you're you're still a researcher. I would call you that. Yeah, but, you know, there's real research. You're a researcher. Uh, Evan Bailey's a researcher with with, uh, the uh, North Canadian River Project. Mm -hmm. And I think him and Troy Hudson have teamed up with No Bro, Native Oklahoma Bigfoot Research Organization. 
Mm-hmm. Lance Hightower, he's a real researcher. Oh, Lance, yeah. I've been he, blessed he's to meet Tulsa. some real researchers. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, standing next to those guys, I can't claim to be a researcher. Maybe an armchair researcher. I, I would call you a researcher. First of all, okay. you're in the well, prime okay. place where you can if walk you out the door. <laughs> Second, you've done the legwork on the history, the history, the history. Went British all of a sudden. Um, you've done your legwork on the history. You've that is the first step to me. Um, not just going out in the woods and looking for Bigfoot, but doing your due diligence of reading up on the history. You know, <clears> you've <throat> done that. Not to mention, you've messaged me quite a few times with things that you have found in your back property that to be very weird. That that in itself would be weird, but paired with other things made it just kind of squatchy, you know, like um, the mud chunks in your pool that yes. seemingly came from nowhere, that kind of thing. So you investigated it and you didn't just say, oh, Bigfoot did it. Like you investigated it. And to me, that makes you a good researcher. Well, thank you. So if you could please, sir, tell us about your sighting. Okay. Well, um, Back to research. I just come back from Brown Springs with uh, I've been up there with uh, Larry James and um, Chuck Slabs, and they're real researchers too. Uh, Barry Coy and some other guys, and we were up there. Supposedly, you know, there's a there's a lot of activity up there. I'd heard about it being, you know, so scary. People didn't want to be there in the daytime and this and that. So. Um, the first time I went up there, I took my two sons, my youngest son, Trevor, and my second oldest son, Thomas. And Thomas couldn't get out. He lost his legs in Iraq. And so I kind of felt bad. about well, this place is that scary or that dangerous. I didn't want to leave Thomas in a truck. And he just bought a new Judge pistol. And he's like, no, y'all go ahead. I might get a chance to use it. So <laughs> he was fine. So. <laughs> and um uh, we didn't find anything and it wasn't really particularly scary to me. Um, now when I went back in August of, of 2018, we were out there all night and I was with the guys I mentioned and, um, never really had much Bigfoot activity at night or much. You could say a couple of guys would hear something or see something. And, uh, I mentioned this on a podcast last month I was on, but we heard this weird witch's cackle and it came from where the road was. And we kind of all thought it was, well, that's kind of weird, but there's a casino just a mile or two up the road. So, you know, anything's possible. Right. And, um, and then the weird part was we heard the cackle again about 30 minutes later, but it came from the riverside. So whatever this was went through us or by us or past us, and we never heard it. But anyway, I had a world-class case of chiggers, and I had a couple of tick bites, and one was I didn't get the whole take out. I think his head was still in there. I was digging around with it. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember just telling my wife, I, you know, I was like, well, I think they're here or have been here. They're not here now. I don't think they're at Brown Springs. Uh, I'd actually been to a place in uh, Arkansas twice with a friend of mine from um, Ohio. And um, man, that place is scary. It's uh Longpool um, Recreation Center. Now, if you're there on the weekends it, and everybody's camping, it's fine. But both times, especially last time, we got there on Saturday and everybody left Sunday morning and we had three days there. 
And by the third day, I was ready to go home. It, that place gets creepy at night. We had all—I mean, we actually had a rock thrown into the uh, into the fire pit, and there's there's nothing around. There's no human. There's no man-made light. There's nothing. I mean, it, this is really out in the middle of nowhere. Right. But I thought that place has got something going on, and um, I was convinced that things may have happened at Honabi, but they. You know, they were probably gone. I figured it might be a migratory thing. And I came to that conclusion on Sunday. And I think that was the 5th of August, 2018. And I walked out my door on Tuesday night, 2018. And I wanted to look at Mars. I've always been, a you know, my eyes are always on the sky. I love right. watching the sky. Me too. And Mars was real prominent that summer. And I was looking at Mars and I stepped around my wife's car and I tripped the motion detector. So the lights in the uh, carport behind me came on and I was looking up at Mars and I own about a three quarters of an acre across the road. And I keep it kind of rough because the deer like it in there, mm -hmm. but there's a, there's a Choctaw church on the other side of it and they keep their grass mowed down real nice. And my eyes caught movement and I look down and I see this thing is running just right across from left to right in front of me. And it's uh, about a hundred yards away, 80 to a hundred yards. And this thing ran a good hundred yards in front of me. And, and it had to be four seconds max. I mean, I have never seen anything move that quick. And I don't even know why it ran right across my line of vision. I'm thinking maybe when the light trip, maybe it thought I would see it. I don't know. Yeah. But the thing was cooking and I'll never forget the weirdest thing as fast as it was running it didn't pump its arms. It just had like, like kind of like a surfer stance. And that's what just, that kind of gave me the creeps. I was like, man, that's weird. That and then crazy. it leaped out of my sight. And that's the only time I saw it pump its arms. So, um, when of it, course, I've seen a Sasquatch now. <laughs> and I'm all excited. And um, I run in the house and I tell Monica, hey, hey, I just saw a Sasquatch. And she starts staring into my eyes and she just says, oh, John. And then it was <laughs> about three months later, she had a sighting, same area, but there was two other people with her that saw it. So she wasn't hanging out alone. And then, you know, then all of a sudden I've got a problem here. I'm trying to sell Bigfoot novels. Exactly. And I had a sighting. And what do I do? I mentioned it. And then I mentioned, uh, when I mentioned it on Facebook, Wes Germer got a hold of me and I was on Sasquatch Chronicles so quick my head would spin, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I was trying to tell him, well, Wes, it wasn't that big a thing. Uh, you know, it only lasted maybe four seconds and it was gone. And, you know, I didn't get scared because it wasn't running at me. And um, there really wasn't much of my stories, but I went on anyway. And then, uh, you know, I, I got a little gut from a couple of people. I thought, you know what, I'm just not going to talk about this because I'm trying to sell books. So, um, it was 2019. I was a speaker at the Bigfoot Festival here in Onubi, and I went up there and spoke for an hour, two days, never said a word about it. Yeah. And uh, I'd had some other things happen, too. And I just thought, you know, when people say, oh, you're just trying to sell books. And I thought, well, yes, I am trying to sell books. Mm -hmm. but this has nothing to do with that. I mean, 
because you could have you could have knocked me over with a feather when I saw the thing when I actually saw it. And the weird thing too is people will talk about how they don't like dogs or dogs don't like them. Opie was standing right next to me. He watched that thing run across in front of us. And I looked down at him and his tongue's hanging out and his tail's wagging <laughs> just like no big thing. And you know, and if if a if an ant walks down the road, he barks. I mean, he barks and throws a fit at everything. He wouldn't bite anything, but he acts yeah. tough, but he's not. But yeah, he, he normally he would be barking and jumping around and he just watched it go by and his tail's wagging and I kind of wondered, is that your buddy or something? That's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. He's used to it. He's used to Maybe it's that. because he goes out and runs in the woods every morning and chases deer. And yeah. so maybe he encountered them and maybe he was smart enough not to growl. Oh, that's his buddy. That's, I don't know. That makes me feel good because I've heard so many stories of things ending badly for dogs. <laughs> well, I, I guess it's probably going to depend on the dog. Yeah, um, no, definitely. I think it would. Pyromedic said the dog didn't believe what he was seeing either. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and I want to I want to tell you too about. Um, I don't think we discussed this the last time I talked with you. Mm -hmm. The lady and her husband that lived in this house before we bought it, um, she had had encounters with him here. Really? And, um, I don't think. Now she told said me that. she would get she would actually get actual mind speak kind of telepathy thing going on with them mm -hmm. and she wasn't scared of them at all but when she speaks of it you could tell something happened you could tell how intense the encounter was for her because his tears just start streaming down her eyes but yeah. she's a really nice lady her and her husband had moved out to uh, Tallahena and if you're down this way she actually opened a Bigfoot museum in Tallahena now okay. the uh, Tutai Bigfoot Museum. So okay, awesome. That'll, that'll be a stop for you next time you're. Yeah, no kidding. I pass through. I I take the scenic route when I go down south to my mom's house. I always sometimes on the way there I'll take the scenic route down and go through Tallahena. So yeah, I'll definitely have to stop in there. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Um. Okay. Um. I wanted to see if there were any questions. There's not. I had a question. Whenever it was running across the field. Um, and it jumped, did it like leap like a ballerina? Like, no, it wasn't like a ballerina. It was more like a, a hurdler. Okay. Maybe would be yeah. a better description. Cause it was mid run. Okay. Yeah. And it pumped its arm. Then its arms came into motion and yeah, it didn't do like a, I don't know what it is. The ballerinas do with their arms, you know, when. Didn't do anything like that. But. Well, I think we were thinking the same thing. I just didn't describe it yeah. right. Um, but like a hurdler. And then um, how far did you see how far it leapt or was it just out of sight? Well, actually, I couldn't tell because when it leaped, that's when I lost sight of it because it went behind some trees. Yeah. And my neighbor across the road, um, he has a fence line there. And I thought it jumped the fence. And then the next day I hadn't really explored there. You know, we hadn't been in this house maybe three months when this happened. So I hadn't really explored that part of the property. And I went down there the next day in the daylight, take a look around, want to see if I could find some prints or something like that. And there wasn't any, but I figured out there was a pile of big rocks and old logs. And it had leaped across that. Oh, okay. It didn't jump a fence. It was a pretty good pile. But the weird thing was there was a, there's a, there's a Choctaw Cemetery right on the other side of that pile. kind of borders my property line. 
So they then jumped into that cemetery, and I just thought that was kind of strange. But that is interesting because I've heard I I've heard a lot of experiences with Bigfoot in cemeteries. So um, maybe that's where he hangs out. Maybe. Well, you know, and uh, my neighbor, he, he's talked to a gentleman. Uh, I talked to him about it, and he said he'd seen him there before too. And there's a there's a game trail that runs behind his house, so. I'm thinking the thing probably, you know, it may come down the mountains down Anobi Creek and take a shortcut because the way the little river, once it's past the bridge there in, in Honubi, it makes a sharp right. Mm -hmm. And that might be an easier way for him to get to the river or something. I don't know. But that made sense to me. No, that makes sense. Um I I have a few questions, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do this one first because it goes along with it. Uh Bobby would like to know, have you had another sighting or any activity in the same area? Great well, question. Yeah. Um, Bobby, one night. Now I can't I can't be sure of this because all I saw was a dark shape. But I came out one night and my wife was down. We have a fire pit and she was down talking to her uh, daughter on her phone. And I came out and it was right around Christmas. It was December. Well, we have two sheds and another carport type structure in the yard over there. And it's, it's uh, east of the house. I'm pointing. Um, <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> where that is. Out, and it's dark and the leaves have fallen by now. And I'm getting some light from a neighbor who I normally can't see. And um, I see this big thing on two legs, just, it looked like it was in a carport for a second, but it was on the other side of the fence. spot. It just walked across there. And I just said, Monica, go in the house. And I guess it, normally she would have said, why or what, what's yeah. wrong with you? She just went in the house, didn't say a word. I, I guess the tone in my voice said enough. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I grabbed a, I grabbed a big, um, spotlight and I grabbed 12 gauges in case and I went out there and didn't see anything and I thought well maybe maybe I was just seeing things but I'm not so sure and then we had the uh, deal with the uh, rocks ending up in the pool yeah. and um, you know they were they were these big sandstone rocks like we get around here they're pretty heavy about the size of my fist and we had a pool in the backyard back in those days here and in the summertime I'd get in to clean the pool when I got home from work every evening, I'd cool off and clean the pool and swim a little bit. But there was rocks in it almost every day. I'm, I'm taking rocks out. And some of them, I mean, they're so heavy. And the only place the rocks are, are down by the road. And it's a good, I don't know, um, 40 yards down the road. There's no way I could throw a rock or anybody I know around here could throw one of those rocks into the pool. So, right. And, um, I don't know. People don't. I wouldn't think somebody walk onto the property just messing with me and do it. People here are too nice. Plus, everybody's here. To, you know, they're armed and. <laughs> yeah. <don't lie. laughs> yeah. So, you know, I needed a trailer yeah. just for guns. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I, I don't think people would be snooping around doing that. And uh, we kept finding we got pine cones on the back four acres of our house or pine trees and there's pine trees across the road, but we got an acre um, fenced in here that I keep mowed down and stuff. There are no pine trees. And we kept finding pine cones in the morning. 
sitting on this rock ledge we have next to the carport. Throwing the trash, taking the house next morning, there'd be another one there. So, and we do, and now I haven't heard it in a while because about a year and a half ago, they uh, really started um, doing a lot of tree cutting on the uh, north range behind the house. This little valley is only a mile wide. So we got mountains to the south and then mountains to our immediate north. And when they started doing a lot of timber cutting up there, things really quieted down. Um, but it, it wasn't uh, any big deal to get. They sound just like out of um, Ron Moorhead's uh, Sierra sounds to get vocalization some nights and stuff. Right. But it would normally be in the fall or the autumn, sometimes in the spring. But you'll get them for a little bit, and then they just go away. I I think you live in a pretty squatchy area. Um, yeah. That was, yeah. Do you? It was another question. Was do you smell something funky? You um, know, I've never encountered the smell. Never. That I haven't had that experience. I can yeah. live without it too. Yeah, it was. um, Have you ever encountered anything uh, smelling funky or or howls? So, um, just on the way to the shower. Okay. Okay. Um, When your wife and her friends saw it, were they scared? No, because it was going away. Okay. I still would have been scared, but I mean, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And, okay, so now we have a couple questions about the book. Okay. Of course. Okay, so, uh, first of all, Dolores would like to know, John, is Nate going to be in the next book? (laughs) Spoiler alert. Well, if Nate survives the second book, (laughs) I mean, I don't want to give a spoiler. Um, is, is, Is it Dolores... Is her last name there? Uh, Dolores, yes. Um, Pettigrew? Yes. Tell her I'll, I'll, I'll message her. They're friends of ours who live in Arkansas. <laughs> oh, I hope she's read the second book. Um, okay. Yeah, she has. She okay. has. Evans Bailey. Um, he's here. Thank you, Evans, for being here. Um, in your first book, where did you get the ideas for your characters? I'm interested in that, too. Okay, well... First of all, I didn't want to use uh, any names of people that I know because I didn't want somebody coming back and uh, yeah. accusing me of making them look too good or too bad. <laughs> but uh, the bad guys, I just use people I run into in my, you know, my walk through life. You know, you encounter yeah. good people and not so good people. And sometimes you're stuck around the not so good people for years and you get to know their traits and mm-hmm. that kind of the traits I would use for the bad guys. And then um, I was really fortunate. I served with some awesome people while I was in the Air Force for 16 years. Mm-hmm. And I met some awesome people from other branches of the service. And like uh, like Nathan and, and um, I got another character, Trent, and even Sam, they're all um, military or ex-military. Well, you know, I was able to... Uh, you know, take traits I knew from people I knew while I was in the military. Uh, I was able to take traits from my two sons that fought in Iraq. I mean, they're real soldiers. I was just a wrench bender in the Air Force. So um, 
just life experience really on, on my characters. Gotcha. John, um, I'm going to butcher that name. John Tackerer, Takerer? Just okay. Taker. He's one of the awesome people I was talking about. <laughs> he said, I think I knew some of those guys. Yeah. Well, he's one of them. Oh, well, I was going to ask if you have any character mock-ups of Sam that you could post for your female fans. That would be great. Just throwing that out there for future, you know. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll put that on my list. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm sure I'm not the only and one. If you, if you want to make sure I never forget, email Francesca at Empire Pub. Oh, <laughs> I, She'll put it on my to-do list. I mean, because if we could just have a, a poster of like Bigfoot and then, you know, Sam and. Okay. That's a, yeah, this idea is getting better. Keep talking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I need I'll, to I'll email all my ideas. I'll CC you on it. It's going to be fine. Because <laughs> um, my, my brain does him justice, but, you know, yeah. Um, okay. Let's see if we had any more questions. You guys have any more questions? Please type them in all caps. And um, can you tell us like a little bit about the the next book, like book two or yeah, book three? Book three. Well, yeah, I can. Um, if you've read book two, you kind of know that uh, without giving too much away, um, Sam's kind of leaning into going back into the army. Um, Nathan and Trent, who are both active duty and attached to a special forces unit. Both of them were here for book one and I brought them back for book two and decided to make them uh, major characters because they were interesting. Mm -hmm. um, they'll be in book three. And um, well, there I said it. So, okay, you know, <laughs> those three guys live if you haven't read book two. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, Nathan and, and Trent, they're kind of... Uh, they're 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 awesome. They're awesome warriors, but you know they each have their own drummer, and it ain't always what the government wants. So they're going to be invited to retire early, <laughs> and mm -hmm. they're the ones that are going to start up their own uh, or get involved with a civilian corporation investigating these types of things. Nice. That's exciting. <laughs> I was trying to explain in a in a really quick little why they should read the book because I was saying I was going to have you on this Wednesday this was at the camp out and I was like and and then and then the Bigfoot they do this and then at the end of the chapter it's like oh and then um there's a government cover-up and I mean I was just trying to get as much as I could out without spoiling it for them and I was like you guys just just buy it I was like it's so good <laughs> so um I mean I really appreciate you uh sharing that about the third book yeah well the the yeah and the second book um i bring in i bring in a little more on on the ufo topic comes mm -hmm. in and there's an elderly chalk talk character i brought in josh neshoba and the book pans back to when he was young he was uh his uncle his favorite uncle was killed at pearl harbor and josh was just coming of age and he wanted to be a fighter pilot, avenge his uncle's death, and he ends up missing World War II. He just, you know, by the time he got through all his training and education and got assigned to a squadron, the war was over. And he picks up in 1947, and I use him 
as a witness to a lot of the UFO activity and stuff in the early or the late 40s, early 50s and into the 60s. And he's kind of almost. Well, you know how Addison was in the first book and Addison's still back in the second book. Well, um, Josh is older than Addison and he has even more wisdom and he's got the, this Bigfoot thing figured out. You know, there's uh, I took some grief because my my uh, Bigfoot were such killers in the in the first book. And they were brutal. They were brutal. And they're back. I'm not going to tell you how, but those four are back. But I've also this time there's there's a reason to regenerate it and I, I don't want to give it away. But they're different from your your natural Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And there's natural Bigfoot and there's these things called the relics. And the relics, they may look like a Bigfoot, a little bigger, a little stronger, much meaner, you know, more on the evil side. Mm -hmm. Well, we're gonna have in the second book I have regular Bigfoot clans like in the Kaimichis and the Winding Stair Mountains and things like that. So mm -hmm. I branched it out a little and um, refined the story a little more. And oh. that's as far as I'm going to go. <laughs> There's one scene in the first book and it's like missing 411 type Bigfoot meets Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is awesome i remember reading it and it was just like watching a a gnarly action movie i was like oh ah like because it just i loved it though i mean it gets violent and if you have an extremely fertile imagination you know but i loved it so I'm for all of you did. that think it's a girly bigfoot book it's really not <laughs> it is awesome i was so. surprised how many female fans the book has oh um, my gosh i thought it'd be more men but but women seem to like it more than men do you have a lot of female i mean you haven't even mixed here in the chat but i i mean i really enjoyed it um i think it's sam no, you kidding. think it's sam no <laughs> i think it's, it's it's just a really well written book <laughs> well thank you now you know what i did pattern um one character on somebody i know specifically and that was a. Uh, Krista's father, Mike, the big mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. That just kind of loved to terrorize you in a fun sort of way. Yeah. You know, I patterned him after my big brother because he was that way. He was a big, big guy. And yeah. Um, you know, I was his favorite punching bag, but nobody <laughs> else, nobody else could use me for a punching bag. So <laughs> that's that's siblings from what I've but, learned. Yeah, yeah. A lot of his uh a lot of his traits went into Mike Sand the Mike Sanders uh, character. <laughs> um okay hold on there there was a um alan laster he had a good question that i would love to hear your thoughts on um do you think the government has a bigfoot or knows of bigfoot i mean you put it in there and that idea had to come from somewhere well you know i think it's highly possible they do um you you know i've read a lot about you know government interaction on that thing i, I thoroughly believe the government has uh, UFOs. I mean, if, if you go back and listen to Bob Lazar and um, and then you look at things like Kexpert case, now I don't want to get too far into UFOs and the <laughs> government response. And then now you look, we've got U.S. Navy gun camera videos of UFOs buzzing around F-18 Hornets that were just released a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Do they have 
a Bigfoot? I would think they probably do. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm sure you probably read the stories about them finding them after Mount St. Helens exploded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, did that go I would into think they do. that first um, <laughs> chapter of the first book? Did that was that kind of something that's that planted that seed for that chapter or was that oh, just oh, yeah on well I, actually um i i was trying to find a way why would they go to Tallahassee? why would they just start terrorizing this town and i thought and i thought and i said forest fire and i thought how do i get a forest fire and i thought hey i'll crash an airplane so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i crashed an airplane got a forest fire and you know, got them pushed over toward Tallahena. So that's how that happened. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, yeah may have, uh, Mount St. Helens, that may have been the, uh, the seed that planted that. You don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I was just wondering because you brought it up. Um, yeah. It, I, that part. And then at the end, like <laughs> twist ending at the end of that chapter, literally twist ending. Um, oh, man. That just, that said it, like, if you don't, if you are reading the first chapter and you don't read the rest of the book, there ain't no help for you. Because um, <laughs> it was really good. Okay. Um, Larry Taylor had a really good idea, or, uh, idea, oh my gosh, question. Um, have you ever heard the story of the Afghanistan Kandahar giant, the red hair giant? Well, Larry should know. <laughs> I, know I think Larry he's too. asking for our benefit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, that's included in book two as well. Well, I'm just going to have to take the rest of the week off and read that. Book. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, you didn't have to. I, I was wondering if this wasn't going to get canceled because I heard the Cajun Navy was deploying to Texas. Um, I'm no longer with Cajun Navy. I am oh, part of Rise Disaster Relief and Recovery. It's a another disaster nonprofit um, doing big things. So, um, yeah. So we are deploying after the storms, um, but it, it, I'm not sure where they deployed to. But, but yeah, I uh, I think we're deploying next week. So, um, no, I definitely wanted to get this interview going and you know all of that before before I deployed out to the disaster space. So, um, hold up, there was one more. They know, I, I, I'm one of those tinfoil hat wearers that definitely believes that the government has a body and definitely knows about Bigfoot. Well, you know, it, it's funny how many giant bones were uh, have been picked up by the Smithsonian and then disappear. So, you know, some of the giant bones may be nothing more than um, Sasquatch bones. You, who knows? I mean, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. I mean, there's just a lot going on that we don't ever hear about. Oh, absolutely. It's getting worse. Absolutely, Betsy. Um, I would love to talk to you about that. Um, if you could message me offline. Um, sure. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, the giant bones have gone missing. Um, and then also um, small little people bones have been um, yeah. unearthed and sent to the Smithsonian and disappeared forever. So, yeah, I definitely think it could be it could be a thing. Um, not to mention that there's just been a lot of encounters and uh, witness stories where it seems like 
there's a sighting or someone hits one um, in a road crossing and um, a SUV pulls up and guys get out and start, you know, um, interrogating them. Or there's um, my, my mom, for instance, has had experiences where she's been out researching, had some activity, and all of a sudden, you know, some officials will pull up and start asking questions. And it's just, I, there's, I, I think they know, they have to know. The government knows yeah. everything. Well, I love I love those officials too because they're great for a fiction writer if you're writing stories like this. <laughs> Absolutely. Men in black. Oh yeah, let's get some men in black involved. Pretty much. <laughs> it, I, I was trying not to say it like that, but yeah, pretty much that. <laughs> um and I, I just I think there's just too many um instances of someone showing up or evidence going missing or um, honestly, and this gets really into the conspiracy theory part, but I've known too many people that have had their hard drives wiped and um, stuff like that, just remotely lost everything for no reason. I know a gentleman that's been in that same boat. I won't yeah. say his name, but yeah. 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 And it's just, it's a little much, yeah. um, especially when you pair it with that. Um. Okay, uh, Ellen has a great question. Do you think Bigfoot are all across the United States in rural areas, or are they mostly in certain areas? You know, when when I started doing this, started researching for the book, well, first of all, my friend told me they were in Florida and Ohio. I was like, really? I thought it was strictly a... Uh, Pacific Northwest thing. Pacific Northwest thing. And if that's Ellen Livingston, that's my cousin, and... I believe she's fairly close to Houston. Tell her, uh, tell her and David to go camp out in the Sam Houston National Forest. That's, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> you guys go hit up Sam Houston and just stay for the night uh, yeah. in the middle of the week. I think, yeah, I think they're they're probably around more than people know. Um, when you start, you know, looking at. When you start researching and you just the stories and and going back and finding you know paper um, stuff from newspapers in the early 1900s and late 1800s, I mean this thing has been everywhere. So many of the Native American tribes have uh, names for them and and, and um, they're part of their oral histories and it's just I yeah. just I was shocked just how spread out the phenomenon is. It, it really is. Um, so I, I tell people, you know, I'm like, I have an international podcast on Bigfoot and people are like, oh, OK. And then that sets in that I said international and they're like, yeah. what? And I'm like, Australia, Ireland, England, um, Canada, British Columbia, uh, down in South America, uh, literally internationally. These things are everywhere. They're in China. I haven't had anyone from China on, but they're over, you know, in Asia. They're everywhere russia i haven't had any I, have a, uh, I have a facebook friend from holland and her her name's dutchy <laughs> but um <laughs> she's out almost every weekend she's like you know like evans bailey and those guys yes, they're dedicated. <laughs> out there every weekend you know in the weeds just looking mm -hmm. for something you know yeah, but you're right no. in that they this <laughs> this dates back so far, and if you the farther you go back, it turns into the wild hairy man, uh, wild yeah. man, hairy man. That's what it was called back then. Um, but if you 
go back, uh, Marvin Leeper actually taught me this fact. Um, he's another author. And he said, you know, whenever the Native Americans were on the Trail of Tears, what they would do sometimes to kind of entertain themselves would they would tell stories. And it was that oral tradition. And actually, they would tell of Bigfoot. And so um, as devastating as the Trail of Tears was, um, one of the silver linings out of it was that those oral traditions um, were kept alive and those stories were kept alive through that oral tradition. And now we have these stories today. Yes. And it's amazing how many how many stories there are. Have you ever uh, seen the uh, podcast about the Navajo Rangers? Yeah. Oh, Oh, man, I, have, that, I have heard of it, and I, if you have access to that, can you please send it to me? Because I have it. looked for it, and I cannot find it. I mean, it's like they look. It's like every day they're on the Skinwalker Ranch or something. Yes, <laughs> I have heard of it, and people have asked me to, you know, contact them and have them on and all of this. And I just, I, I have not been able to track that information down. I'll see. So. I'll see if I can find the uh, documentary I watched on them. Yes, and they're just, that's the documentary. They're the nicest yeah. guys too, and they're so just easygoing and laid back, and mm -hmm. and the stuff they've encountered, the things they they've seen, it, it's just it's it's mind blowing. And and you would think, man, you might some people might go crazy encountering all the things they have, but and they're just laid back and easygoing. But yeah, I'll I'll look for it, and if I can find it, I'll yeah. send it. To you. I appreciate it if you just have it handy, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so hold on, hold on. Um, had someone say they stayed three days in Sam Houston, but they didn't have any luck. But two of those days were under a tornado watch, so that could have had something to do with it. I bet the Bigfoot had gone to ground. Um, I've I've had some people that I know have a lot of luck in Sam Houston, and others have none. Um, I think it just depends when you go. Um, Yes, helicopters. I will say back to the conspiracy theory part, helicopters. Um, my my mom used to have a lot of low-flying helicopters over her house whenever she would have had action around her house. Really? So, yes. What, that was, now, where do y'all live? Where does your mom live? She lives in deep east Texas. Oh, okay, okay. So she what, lives in, what, what? she lives around Nacogdoches now, but she lived okay. in, uh, she lived around Lufkin at this time. And oh, okay. actually she's had it in both places and she's had squatchy experiences in, in both places. She's had sightings in both places actually. And um, she's had the low flying helicopters. Really? Um, well, you know, I, I, I figured out after I started writing the book, why my sister was so insistent on it because they had encounters in White County, Arkansas, where she lived. Mm -hmm. and uh, they never said anything for years. And it, here's something funny. Um, recently, there's been talk of a, of a Bigfoot or some kind of creature out around El Paso, Texas. Hmm. And I remember my brother I was telling you about earlier, he was 10 years older than me, and uh, he got a scholarship to UTEP to play football. And I remember the first, uh, first year he was there, he came home for the holidays, and uh, he brought a friend with him, and his friend had this huge gash that ran down his arm, and it was all stitched up. And, you know, my father asked him what had happened, and my brother and this guy went on to tell him that a bunch of the football players had gone down by the river, the uh, Rio Grande, 
and taking a keg of beer so they could have a party where the coaches wouldn't see them. Right. And he said this thing was massive and just came out of the dark and attacked them and was throwing, you know, 250-pound football players across the desert. And um, my brother got under a van, and he said the thing started lifting the van up to get at him, and he rolled out. And he says as quick as it happened, his friend was one of the ones that got picked up and thrown, and he got a gash in his arm. I forget how many stitches it was, but it was a lot. I mean, yeah. I was probably eight or nine, and I was impressed. So, um, <laughs> But I remember my dad saying, um, Tom, for lack of a better word, because none of us had ever heard of Bigfoot or Sasquatch, mm-hmm. it was like a werewolf or something, but it was huge. <laughs> and my, I'll never forget my dad said he was a beer wolf. You know, my father <laughs> didn't believe him. Of course and not. Until, until my brother's dying day he he always claimed that story was real and it dawned on me when i started writing that first novel i thought wow i wonder if that's what that was and i thought well surely not out there in that desert and i started looking and i mean don't if i didn't find sightings around el paso yeah I so that's an incredible experience and and story um and there are desert bigfoot or there are reports of desert bigfoot there are reports of bigfoot in altus oklahoma and i'm sure you've heard of altus air force base and probably had the displeasure of being stationed there at one point in your life for training um but it altus oklahoma is one of the flattest places on the planet and around that area there have been a lot of reports of bigfoot and and people are like, I don't understand how, because you can see, like, if your dog goes missing, you can see the dog walking for two days because the land is so flat, right? Well, we have creek systems and we do have some mountains, uh, little foothills, and we have caves. And I just, I always tell people, I'm like, to follow the creeks. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's it, it's funny you mentioned Altus. I remember reading in a newspaper once, and I don't remember where I was, but there was a story from Altus. Some guy was in his apartment, and he walked out of his apartment and said there was a big, hairy creature sitting on the railed fence around the apartment complex, just kind of sitting on it, looking at him, and he just went back into his apartment, locked the door, and called the police, and when they came, there wasn't anything there. And, of course... Nobody said anything about Bigfoot there, but mm-hmm. now if you say that, that makes sense. Funny thing, when when um, if we've got time for this story, um, of course. When I was first stationed in Arizona, um, I remember there was this big mystery. I think it was I'd been there maybe three or four months, but there was a place in an expensive neighborhood out by the foothills, and every day this house would just start getting pounded with rocks in broad daylight just rocks would hit it and they'd call the police The police would come out rocks might hit their car and they never found anything and i remember one evening actually watching the news they had a live news crew there and rocks were hitting police cars rocks hit a cameraman rocks were hitting all and they had cops everywhere and they poured down into the little washes and never found anybody and uh then while i was uh I was researching for the book. I was listening to a Sasquatch Chronicles episode, and they were talking about seeing a Bigfoot on um, 
Davis Monthan Air Force Base where I'd been stationed out there back in the uh, mid 70s. And then I started thinking, okay, they're seeing Bigfoot, they're getting hit with rocks. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of wondered if, if, you know, it was the weirdest thing though, because I kept expecting, especially with the news crew there, I thought they were going to bring a couple of kids out any minute, you know, yeah, yeah. all those rocks, but they never found anybody and finally it just petered out. You know, it is time, everybody, for Lauren's daily blessing. A lot of people think that Bigfoot are primates. And at this time, we should all be thankful that Bigfoot throws rocks instead of poop. <laughs> because that could have been real bad. Yeah. Um, no, I've, I've, I've heard so many, so many different places you would never think Bigfoot could exist and i've heard of the rock throwing too at fort sill air force base there's been rock throwing um really? <clears throat> yeah and so around fort sill or air force base fort sill army base um around fort sill there's a uh, medicine park and the wildlife refuge and all that's right there and um there's so many hiking trails back in there and so when you get to go hiking back in there man if you get beamed with a rock back there no one's going to oh, yeah. find your body. So, I mean, um, but there's been places like that. And then, and if you're there, you just can't, you can't imagine a Bigfoot living there, but there have been so many stinking reports and sightings. The last time I went hiking there, the time before last, when I went hiking there, um, a, a, some, a nice gentleman had given me a report. Um, he, there was an old mine back there. And he had been escorted out of that area at dusk. And by escorted out, I mean some beings were not letting him stay back there. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. It was really interesting. And I went back there to go check it out, hiked all the way back there. And I couldn't even get to, to the mine. It was so rough and there was just rattlesnakes everywhere. Yeah. Um, Mopar Bill has a really good reason why they don't throw poop instead of rocks um, because they don't <laughs> want to throw a sample at you. Yeah, I guess that's well, there you go. Yeah, you'd be able to get DNA or at least DNA of something they hate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, guys, we are going to start wrapping it up. So if you guys have any other questions, lay them on me. I'll ask them. Um, and then we're going to wrap it up. You guys can find John's books on Amazon or visit his website, relicsbook.com. And I highly recommend you buy, buy the first two and get them read because, uh, yeah, and then they'll all be clamoring for the third one. Also, John frequents uh, some Bigfoot events, uh, specifically the Honubi Bigfoot Conference and festivals, so you guys can meet him there and have him sign your copy of the book, which I did, and I'm very excited about that. I was honored when you uh, came up and introduced yourself to me. Well, I appreciate that. I was glad to meet you. Yeah. Um, you'd have me on your show twice and <laughs> I was honored to be on your show. I was really honored to be asked back. So, Oh my gosh, of course. And that was back in the blog talk days. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. yeah. I've got to, I'm going to go post that episode if it's not already up. All right. Let me see. Um, so many great people that are your fans. That's amazing. You I got a lot of supporters. Fans. 
I do. I got <clears throat> wonderful friends, wonderful fans, wonderful family, and they've all been real supportive. It's amazing the friends I've made just from this book and, right. um, you know, uh, like I've had family members. I thought, well, when this gets out, I'm going to get disowned. And, um, <laughs> like Ellen's here. She's, I think she's been on almost every one of podcasts mm-hmm. I've been on. And, you know, I just love her to death. She's been a big supporter and yeah. the friends I've made out here have been big supporters. So yeah, I've been blessed by writing this book. It's been it's been a great experience. For sure. Everything works out. Okay. Um, one last question, and I think this is a perfect question to end on. From Evans Bailey. Why did you choose that title for your books? I didn't want a book titled Sasquatch or Bigfoot. I just wanted something catchy. I just wanted a one-word title. And I kept hearing the term relic hominid. And so I just clinged to relics, relic and made it relic since there was more than one creature involved in the story. So that's how I did it. And um, that might not have been the best title because uh, my my publishing agent, she, she's trying to get my uh, you know book more recognizable and mm-hmm. up into Sasquatch stuff. Well, since it's missing the term Sasquatch, you know, it's it's a little harder to get it get it out there, but she's doing a good job and teaching me some marketing. We're getting there, so yeah. But I, I, I love the title. I'm I'm glad I chose that title. It yeah. may not have been the best marketing, but I didn't yeah. know anything about marketing at the time anyway. So I love the title. Honestly, it's to to all of those of us who have been in in the Sasquatch arena and have seen the massive amount of books coming out. To all of us, it's refreshing, and it's like, who, what, what, what's this? You know. So I have to say, for for all of the actual Bigfoot people, um, picking up your book, it it stands out to us. So good choice. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on tonight, John. It's always thank a pleasure to speak me. with you. And thank you everybody for showing up. I really appreciate it. Love you all. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, and I'll have you back on after the third book releases. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Okay. Thank you. And everybody have a great night. Um, John, you, I have already given you guys his website, but again, that's relicsbook.com. You guys can go check him out. And um, if you guys like this show, go ahead and like it, share, subscribe, ring that notification bell. You guys know what to do. And don't forget to check out my affiliates for uh, content all the times I'm not on the air. You guys stay safe. Be kind, and I'll see y'all next time.